0: If it's your first time here, it's great to have you along. Uh, These are very interactive and relaxed events, so join in, stay quiet. Look, it's up to you, we don't mind, Um, but you can uh, ask questions or answer questions or chat in the chat on the right-hand side of the screen, um, which everyone's doing at the moment, and I'll monitor those and bring them up as we go along today. Um, So just to test if the chat's working, I'm also gonna ask for a weather update but it looks very sunny everywhere. So have you had a barbecue yet this year? It's been kind of nice here so um but we haven't had one yet so um big barbecue fan so we're going to be recording this and a replay will be available straight afterwards if you want to come back and watch it again um or if you're watching in the future uh, then hello um and we've also started producing a podcast for each of our online assemblies so you can download and listen uh, to your heart's content if that's the way you like to do things. A um, couple of events coming up, um, we've got our big day out and big night in uh, on the 14th and 13th of September respectively. We'll pop a link in the chat room shortly where you can book up for that where well over half the tickets have gone already, um, so if you'd like to come along and join a hundred other para planners in the beautiful Cotswold countryside with some great food, great views and great content, uh, then don't miss out, get your tickets pretty soon. And next week, next Wednesday, um, we've got another online assembly, um, casually titled, Do Tax Wrappers Go to Heaven? Um, So we're talking about death and and investments and what to think about there. Um, Actually, quite interesting. So um, we'll pop a link to that in the chat room as well. um, So you can come along and um, join and learn about that one. So let's get on to today's topic. Um, So years of stability in the retirement income planning world changed very suddenly on the 23rd of September last year, when former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Quasi Quateng stood up and presented his infamous mini budget. Um, ever since then, there's been uncertainty around rising interest rates, anxieties about inflation. Uh, people are getting a bit more anxious about that now, actually, with food inflation still going up, and even worries about the stability of some pension funds themselves. And this has led to us paraplanners, rethinking how can we help clients achieve the outcomes they want from their financial plans. One well, consequence of all this, secure lifetime income has become a thing again, and annuities are back in fashion. Who could have seen that coming? Um, what's more, the demands of consumer duty means more and more firms are kicking the tyres on their centralized retirement propositions just to check they're still fit for purpose, or maybe even setting one up for the first time. So in other words, it's all kicking off in the world of retirement income planning. And in the eye of the storm, because we always are, it's us power planners. So how are we supposed to make sense of all of this? What do we need to know? and what should we be doing about it? Um, so this is the third in a series of three online assemblies uh, we're putting on this year with our good friends at Just. In the first one, we looked at what an annuity is, what happened in the economy, and what it all means for income stability and risk management. And we'll pop a link to that one as well. Last week, we looked at the practicalities and planning. So we had to look at how you could forecast for secure income, how that fits in with other asset classes. Um, we looked at what timeline uh, is doing with Just around sophisticated modeling. Uh, we'll pop a link to that one in the chat room as well. And today we're going to look at some case studies and what consumer duty means for all of this. So I'm really pleased to be joined once again by Carl. Carl, if people don't know you, I mean, who doesn't? But if people don't know <laughs> you, please introduce yourself. Even
1: yeah, in for me, even for me, they all have it in for me. Um, yeah, my name's Carl Steadman. So for those of you that haven't um, seen me before, I'm a retirement and later life specialist at Just. Been with Just now for 14 years and two months Um, but been in financial services since 1996 and during that time i've worked across you know retirement income equity release long-term care so a broad spectrum of knowledge certainly on on what just does so you know 55 and up is really sort of uh, my speciality and uh, yeah really pleased to be back again for this third um, episode of the uh, of the webinars
0: brilliant thank you carl and i see there's been some barbecues uh going on out there in paraplanner land becky's pizza oven's been out again that's infamous in our team so um (laughs) yeah pizza oven that that works as well so um yeah i think i'm going to crack open the barbecue very soon as well so i'm going to bring some slides up on the screen now which carl's carl's been very kind to prepare for us uh and i'm going to hand over to carl now who's going to talk us through these
1: perfect thank you very much so i suppose really with what we're going to be looking at today, I suppose, is it's kind of revisiting a little bit of one, a little bit of two and bringing it all together. So kind of seeing how we can manage the portfolios going forward and certainly, you know, as Richard was saying, with the volatility and everything that's been happening in the markets over the last 12 months or so. So we're going to understand how legacy provision can be improved, consider how high levels of income can be sustained and explore how retirement plans can be made more resilient. Now, unsurprisingly, these learning objectives are kind of around the questions that we've been sort of posed by advisors and power planners, and these are certainly uh, the questions that a lot of clients have been asking over the last 12 months. So, a bit of a recap as we know, 2022, uh, an interesting year for for many reasons, but I suppose one of the things that we've seen is that. we've now got a positive correlation between equities and bonds so certainly when we're talking about um you know building a portfolio if you had a negative correlation as as richard so eloquently put i think in the first or second one um the correlation between winter coats and ice cream go up and down very much the same around equities and bonds so at any given point if you're building that balanced portfolio there should be one element that's performing if the other one's not Um, but as we can see from here 2022 we're now in a period of positive correlation so they're both moving in the same direction but equally what we can see here is actually What the um, clients have been reliant on is the equity allocation over the last few years. So that's been the real driver, the engine room of the portfolio. And so when we're looking at the bond element, fixed income, whilst you're saying it could be a lower risk, but actually it's not been bringing a huge amount to the party. And certainly now it's kind of in a negative or positive correlation perspective, you've got small returns, but also that volatility as well. So if you've got someone coming in, you know, gliding into retirement, if they're starting to de-risk, putting more and more into bonds, you've still got that volatility that they were hoping they were going to be uh, protected from. So it's quite a difficult position at this point in time around building that portfolio that should work for, you know, what could be given a 20, 30 or 40 year retirement journey so i, I think
0: it was in the last session wasn't it we said that um a lot of people particularly in workplace schemes were on these lifestyle strategies and were you know as you said gliding towards retirement and the strategy was moving them automatically into bonds and, and fixed interest which you know certainly for the last decade or two has been the right way to go just to kind of reduce the volatility and kind of lock in returns but we had a few cases that uh, particularly there's about a four-week period last year when Bonds really were in the doldrums, and these people were looking at 15, 20, 25% loss on their whole portfolio because yeah. they were so weighted towards bonds at a time when there wasn't meant to be any of that going on. So they had to work a bit longer or defer their retirement. So bonds aren't doing what they say on the tin at the moment, are they? That's, that's the issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, it is just putting that more more of an emphasis really on on the equity portion to try and do it. And, you know, whilst we had that big drop last year things have moved up but there's still a lot of people that are in in a uh, negative position so to speak so you know same as the outcomes so the, the learning objectives these are the questions that people are asking you know with high in, higher inflation whilst it's dropped below 10 percent now as richard said earlier on food inflation i think it's still running just over 19 percent mm-hmm. so people are potentially wanting or needing that higher income just to cover your heating and eating, let alone all the kind of the nice things that they want to do in retirement as well. And then how does that link into the sustainability and financial resilience? Um, You know, resilience, one of the four key drivers of vulnerability, and it's all about making sure, you know, we've gone through that capacity for loss. We've got that pound, shillings and pence number. How much they need on a monthly basis to be able to do what they want to do, but also have that sustainability of having the income for at least as long as they live potentially longer if they've got a younger partner or spouse and if they're wanting to have any wealth cascade by inheritance as well so you know legacy benefits are are really important also going forward but i suppose if we're looking at i suppose cash flow modeling stress testing You know, what are we stress testing now? Certainly, we probably need to be fairly uh, vigorous when we're talking about inflation. Do we now stress test if it goes up to 10 percent, 15 percent or even 20 percent? And, you know, what impact does that have on the sustainability of the pot if they're wanting to take out, you know, a um, income that's linked to um, inflation? But again, as this slide says, equities should outperform bonds over the longer period. But if you've got more inequities than bonds, it may be a little bit more volatile. And if we link that to the client's attitude to risk, um, we don't want to put them into something that's so spicy, they're a little bit concerned on the ups and downs. So again, it's this quite complex area. And certainly if a client gets off to a bad start, you know, the first 10 years can be quite critical because they might not actually be able to recover and normally we sort of say, well, we never know if a client's getting off to a good or bad start. 2022, we could have taken educated guess, but if they're continuing to have to take out more money and there's still volatility in the markets, they're selling more units to generate the same level of income. How's that going to affect the sustainability of the pot? So lots and lots of things to think about. And I suppose the reasons why we're having all this um, volatility you know, we've had Brexit, could be an issue. We've had lockdowns. We've got the war in Ukraine, unfortunately. Business costs, so you know, wage bills, utility costs, supply chain issues. So China in a multitude of very severe lockdowns. And was it Ever Given? I think the boat that was stuck. Evergreen, Evergreen Ever Given. I can't remember. What it, was. it was stuck in the Suez Canal a couple of years ago, so people won't get in there. Um, patio furniture ready for summer Uh, so lots and lots of things that have affected the markets and you know you could you could say 2022 was a a black swan event but um you know are we going to continue to see high inflation moving on over the next few years and so i suppose with that it's if it's high inflation is there going to be more volatility what can we do to help the clients manage that volatility going forward.
0: Hmm. Uh, thank you, David, for correcting us. It was ever grand, not evergreen or ever given. So we were somewhere in the ballpark. We? It <laughs> ever grand, and, and you're right. I think that we do a lot of. Forecasting, particularly for clients that are going into retirement, and it's a key part of, of what an advisor and planner can do to help them actually make important decisions and understand what can and can't be done. I'd love to know if people would put in the chat, um, have you changed your default inflation assumptions in in your forecasts? Because um, I get mixed kind of reviews on this one. People are saying sometimes, well, the Bank of England's target is still long term two percent, so we're kind of somewhere around that. Some people are saying, No, we're going with 10.1 because you know, that was the month before last cpi figure so we're going to go with that but that could be overstating inflation therefore you're going to run out of money sooner you could be understating inflation so if you're brave go and pop in the chat room have you changed your kind of inflation assumptions over the last six 12 months or so um and if you really want to be brave just share with us if you've got a default assumption rate. love to know you're really interesting a bit quiet mm-hmm. at the moment so we'll see what comes up there um but sorry Carl, back to you
1: that's okay because yeah, i think with a loss of um inflation calculators, etc., that were kind of free to use on the web. Some of them were kind of topping out at 10 and some were at 15. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if um, people are, you know, when they're stress testing, seeing what happens if inflation does indeed rise again. So, yeah, how can we dampen this volatility? Well, I suppose, again, you know, when you talk about modern portfolio theory, um, you know, negative, correlation between equities and bonds, which we've had for the last 20, 25 years. um, I suppose that's played quite a key role in the construction of those diversified portfolios. But again, you know, given the uncertainty going forward, future path of inflation, interest rates, you know, are they set to rise further still? Um, You know, should we now make assumptions that, you know, we're not going to get that negative correlation back? any point soon and certainly i think schroders did a study around um negative and positive correlation i think it went all the way back to about 1926 and they were seeing like quite a distinct level that when inflation gets above three percent you start to go into position of a positive correlation so obviously you know we're still at 8.7 and they do estimate that um you know if um inflation goes above 5% it can take up to 10 years to go back down so dampening that volatility it may be a long-term process it might not be just a short fix and getting back down to that 2% in the next year or so. So
0: answers in the chat room on that one, actually. So um most people seem to be saying they're pretty much keeping their long-term average at the same, which which is good. Some almost exam quality answers inside there about it's the relationship between you know returns and inflation, that the difference, the premium, if you like, that's important, and people modeling different what if scenarios, which is a fantastic answer. So um, Mm. lots of great stuff there. So some power planning bonus points being dished out in the chat room.
1: So top (laughs) answers. Yeah, excellent. So yeah, so you know when we start to look at I suppose constructing a portfolio, and these you know some of the things that we've touched on over the previous two presentations, and it's all around you know introducing a level of guaranteed income into the portfolio and seeing if that can actually you know given that higher income, given the sustainability and resilience that they want, but also if inheritance is a key driver, being able to do that as well. so We've got this case, a 70-year-old married, so obviously they've been in drawdown for a number of years, got half a million in their portfolio. They've been taking 20000 out per annum, but again, because of increasing costs, they're saying they want to take out 22000 this year. They've told us their primary objective is to meet income, but maximising legacy benefits as well. And they've also told us they've got a low capacity for loss, a balanced attitude to risk. But the good news is they're in average health and a non-smoker. So, I suppose, you know, if you're considering after 2022, you could continue doing exactly what they've done before, it could still work out. So, the half a million pounds going through cash flow modeling on a 60-40 split, um, twenty two thousand you 've got an eighty percent probability of success to age ninety five so there 's a pretty good chance it's going to happen and also up to age ninety five you 've gone beyond average life expectancy, which is um, you know certainly with um, db transfers what the uh, regulator's wanting to see that we 're going to manage the amount of income beyond average life expectancy and we we'll are going to that a little bit more detail later on. And that's a 4.4% withdrawal rate, and he's got his 22000 income. But if we introduce a level of guaranteed for our secure lifetime income product, so only 15% of the overall pot, 75000 So we can assume with his state pension, plus he may have another couple of little pots here and there, that 5105 kind of covers his um, kind of non-negotiable costs. So you've still got 425,000 in the drawdown portfolio. So the large majority of it is still there. But what we're saying here is with that 5,000 being produced by guaranteed income, so it's fixed income plus mortality credits. um, So the drawdown only has to produce the 16,895. And it's easy to produce sixteen, eight, nine, five from four, two, five, and twenty-two out of five hundred thousand. So the probability of success has gone up to ninety-one percent to age ninety-five, and the remaining drawdown portfolio withdrawal rate has dropped to four percent. So we've still got the twenty-two thousand income. The probability of success is higher, and so what we're seeing here is actually a level of guarantee over a longer period can take some of the pressure and dampen down that volatility that you're getting from your um, portfolio at this point in time.
0: Because okay, so if we look at the reasons um, underneath that in a bit more detail, that, that um, secure income is, is an effective kind of rate or yield, wrong word I know, but about 6.8%, isn't it? So yes. you, you've got that money working a lot harder there, which is giving a bit of a boost to the income, which is why um the probability goes up and also uh, one thing that i took me while to get my head around was the drawdown only is a 60 40 portfolio isn't it but the drawdown with the secure incomes is a 70 30 portfolio but if yeah. you still class the the amount that's gone into the secure income then actually you've come down the risk down a bit um yes. so it's, it's kind of a win on both sides
1: isn't it absolutely so yeah you know as, as we're saying the, the way that we would see it working and again, if you think back to the previous slides, and we're saying, well, actually over the last five years or so, clients have been getting the majority of their returns, unsurprisingly from equities. So what we would suggest is actually you know leave the equity where it is because that's the driver that's the thing that over the longer term will actually um, work harder and get those returns. so take some away from the bonds, so what we're talking, saying about here is equity still, 15% in the secure lifetime income, and 25% in the bonds. So you could argue that actually their attitude to risk is still the same because that 15% secure lifetime income is still bonds and fixed income. It's just packaged in a slightly different way. So I think that works really well because, again, it allows clients to maintain their risk profile, but it gives those extra I suppose, guarantees, you're de-risking it slightly because you're passing over the volatility risk and longevity risk over to the insurer, i.e. just. This is why we've,
0: we've got the slide at the start about the search for alternative asset class, isn't it? Because although, as you just said, that secure income is basically fixed income returns with mortality credits on top, it is still kind of an alternative asset class, isn't it? Because bonds aren't doing what bonds used to do. Um, yeah. And it's different to equities. So it's a nice complement inside there
1: you yeah, have yeah, non-correlated asset really when we're looking at that way and again so when we're talking about um succession planning unsurprisingly you know again with this this is kind of linked back to the example that we sh- we saw so 70 year old person in average health so we're talking about here half a million pounds if you're looking at the pink line that's drawdown only and so what we see here is actually over the Early years, if you're comparing it to the drawdown with the secure lifetime income allocation, it's higher. Unsurprisingly, because you took £75,000 out of the portfolio to purchase that guaranteed income. But over the longer period, we can see because there's less pressure on the drawdown pot, the pot with the secure lifetime income, after about 13 years, starts to outperform the 100% drawdown pot. Now, what we're looking at here, I suppose, is a little bit different when we're talking about longevity because we're not talking about longevity on the overall average of the UK, which is kind of early 80s. We're talking about somebody who's in average health and at 70 years old. So they have a one in two chance of surviving to about 91. And as we can see at that point, there's quite a big difference between the two portfolios. And then if you go on, you know, one in five of us are going to live to be 100, um, so you've got a one in 10 chance of living to 99, it starts to kind of show where the guarantees really start to kind of earn their worth, so to speak, because we are now looking at potentially another 20, 25 years of someone living once they get to 75 and they're reasonably healthy. So we're going to move on to um, John now, another um, case study. So John, age 65, balanced investment portfolio of 380,000. So again, unsurprisingly, uh, main objective is to meet income requirements, which is probably the vast majority of people. Secondary, he wants to maximize legacy, so he's got children and and grandkids. So he wants 13,000 pounds a year from the pot, but he's also selling his um, general investment account portfolio You know, making use of capital gains allowance, etc., and um, using that until his state pension kicks in. So, when we're talking about income sustainability, again, balanced portfolio. So, this is from timeline. So, this is timeline that produced figures. Um, Again, with this, um, we've got the link up now, and so with our uh, SLI product, all the rates are plugged directly. Into timeline. Unfortunately, it's not commercially available as yet, but um, certainly with our secure lifetime income team, they have access to it and it's been great to go out and talk to people and show how it actually can work and, and benefit the clients. So it's a 50 50 equities and bonds, taking out the £13,000 per year. So on track, 77% of the time to age 97, so again beyond average life expectancy, and you can say 77%, fairly good chance of this happening and if we look at this slide we're saying well actually if we place 20% of the bond allocation to secure lifetime income we can see is now on track 83% chance to age 97. So again we can just see here that even a little bit can make a big bit of difference and you know we're getting almost Five thousand pounds out of the thirteen three by um, using just twenty percent of the portfolio. So again, because we're un- we're underwriting secure lifetime income as well, any health or lifestyle conditions they can benefit. And obviously, the greater rate that they can get, the less money or less capital is required to use or, or to, to get that level of income that they require. So yeah, I suppose with this poll question, we can put it in the chat. I'm sure you're gonna know this one. Um, So if we're looking at legacy benefits for John, what's it gonna be? Is it gonna be reduced slightly when he introduces a, a level of guarantee by way of SLI, reduced marginally, similar, increased marginally, or increased significantly? So let's see what everyone puts in to uh, the I chat. I'm going
0: to, I'm going to put this down as a slightly leading question, if you don't mind, Carl. You so <laughs> <I think, laughs> might have an idea uh, out of two possible options what the answer might be. So um, we'll, we'll let people maybe um, pop stuff in the chat. But I'm going to go on to the next slide so we can see if people are either going to... Uh, there you go, Becky's going over the knee. So uh, I thought it might come down as DRE. I was going to go that way. But uh, let's, see, uh, let's see what happens.
1: Yeah, so with his um, 50-50 pop, the potential legacy benefit is just under 116,000. So, again, you know, not bad. He's been having his um, income and he's got to sort of age 97 potentially. And that's where it's going to be. But if we then introduce that secure lifetime income, again, it's taking the pressure off just over 209,000 pounds. And so that's quite quite a big jump. Just by introducing that twenty percent of secure lifetime income, so again, because the rates are so good at the moment, we're getting pretty good returns, so actually those small portions are actually working quite hard to i suppose um, bring in a quite a big level of income that they require, so therefore taking the pressure off of the drawdown pot. So again, dampening that volatility because they're not having to um, you know, sell as many units. And again, at this point in time, if you're trying to keep that balanced portfolio, if they've been using, you know, maybe they've had a year's worth of cash and they come into the end of that and they're now having to look at using some of the capital, are you going to be using the equities or the bonds? Which one are you going to be selling? And if you're starting to do that, are you then unbalancing the portfolio if you're saying, well, we we'll use equities because um you know they're they're giving us the, the better income or are using bonds so you know introducing that guarantee can again take that pressure off hmm. i've
0: had quite a long question coming up, so i'm going to try and paraphrase a bit but basically it goes something like this that um are we in a bit of a window of opportunity period because rates have spiked so quickly um that there's a chance they might fall back to what they have been before now And the question goes on to say, if I start to introduce this concept of secure income to a client now on a phased basis and rates go back down, am I going to have to kind of backtrack a bit in the future?
1: Uh, Well, there's a slide coming up in a bit, which we'll we'll, we'll go into. But I think if you're looking at guaranteed income, it's not necessarily just about the rate. If that makes sense. So it's more about if you're looking at the overall portfolio strategy and what it can introduce then um yeah it's not just about the rate it's not just i suppose for some people over the last couple of years they're looking at it just as an, an underpin but actually you know if we if we see this within a portfolio because with our secure lifetime income it is platform based uh, for those of you that haven't tuned into the first two it's a trusty investment plan it's a tip within a sip it's currently available on 7 i and novia but watch this space with other platforms and so it's really uh, uh, i suppose looking at it holistically and not just being rate driven it's what else it can actually provide as well um you know when it comes to rate spiking again if we've got the bank of england rates still increasing um to try and dampen down inflation you know this may be um, an ongoing thing because again we've had 10 or 15 years certainly since the um, global uh, financial crisis very low interest rates low inflation you know people were saying is that the new norm and for 10 or 15 years perhaps it was but we don't have the quantitative easing programs now or anything else that the uh, governments and central banks have done so it's quite a an unknown future because we've never had what we've just had before. So it may well be the new norm, which is higher interest rates. You know, certainly, again, you know, from when I started working in financial services, if you're talking about mortgage rates, you know, they were 6 7% plus. And that, you know, we may go back to that kind of environment. So who knows? But whilst the rates are high and if they're being driven purely by the rates, then, you know, certainly do have a look at it.
0: Yeah, those have been around as long as I have. You might remember back in uh, the ERM crisis in 1992. I went on holiday for a week, and when I went on holiday, the rates were 6%. I came back, and they were 13 So So um, all sorts of things can happen.
1: Yeah, I was buying my first flat then, 15%. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, who, who knows? But, yeah, certainly look beyond just the rate, I would say, with, with suggestions on that. So, um, yeah, I suppose it <laughs> – if we're looking at guaranteed incomes, etc., and certainly the work that the regulator's done around the defined benefit market, and if we're looking forward, we're gonna have the thematic review coming out this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of similarity between what we've done, or what they've done from the DB market following over to all areas of retirement income advice. And this is from GC2001. And what they're talking about here is their recommendation, I suppose, is not just consider the essentials, the heating and eating as non-discretionary, factoring in their lifestyle expenditure as well. Because, you know, going forward, going into retirement, everybody's got plans, what they want to do, you know, be it a couple of holidays a year, buy a camper van or, or whatever it is. It's the lifestyle things, the things that people have been looking forward to, the things that make people happy. And, what they're suggesting is actually the essential and the lifestyle should be classed as non-discretionary. So I suppose putting those two together, going through your budget planner, and I suppose that's your capacity for loss number, how much you need to make sure that essential lifestyle is covered, and then beyond that you have your discretionary. And I suppose you know with lifestyle it could be anything. We've just put holidays and eating out, but it could be your golf fees season tickets you know your, your your monthly trip to uh you know shampneys or wherever it is you, you like to go to relax and then you know your discretionary is it gifts and and, and savings etc but ensuring that you've got the essential and lifestyle covered and nailed down is is what the regulators recommending and so this is lifted from the debat tool the defined benefit price assessment tool if you've not looked at it It's quite interesting. Um, It's what the regulator uses to assess defined uh, benefit transfers and some firms that we've been dealing with they've been using this almost as like a template for their retirement clients and certainly looking at centralized retirement proposition because it gives a a a view through the window of what the regulator looks at. It's it's effectively a um, Excel spreadsheet, very easy to use. I think it's only about 104 pages of instructions, right? keeping it simple. <laughs> but what they go on to say is client may not be reliant on income from the scheme if they can produce the same income via an alternative with or without a guarantee. So they're not saying it needs to be a specific type of product. But it then goes on to say the income is able to meet their needs throughout retirement. And then go on to talk about cash flow modeling and stress testing it. And there's, again, talking about allowing for beyond average life expectancy. So if you went to average life expectancy of, say, 81, 82, uh, you've got a chance of getting it wrong about 96% of the time. You know, people are quite stubborn. They never die (laughs) when they're they're meant to. And an average high to multitude of sin, actually, if you're looking at a female, I think it's about 82, 83, but the most common um, sort of age of death is about 85 or 86. But because the people that die before brings the average down. So, again, it's just making sure we're stress testing whatever income that they take beyond their averages. And I suppose with this, we're going to have Cynthia. You may well have uh, remember Cynthia if you tuned in last week. But for those of you that haven't, here's Cynthia. Age 62, moderately adventurous attitude to risk, but as someone pointed out to me um, the other day, are they moderately adventurous if they're holding a catalogue for caravans? But (laughs) who knows? Um, And what she's looking at doing, she's retired early. She's going to use some of her ISA portfolio to support income until state pension kicks in. Like John, her main objective is income and secondary is maximising legacy. She transferred out of a DB scheme 12, uh, sorry, uh, several years ago. She needs 12,000 a year income and again adjusted, adjusted for inflation and probably like a lot of clients that you've been dealing with over the last um, sort of six, nine months, difficult 2022 portfolios dropped from about 400,000 with income and the volatility down to 326,000. So, again, if we're looking at timeline, 60-40 split, 69% chance of it happening to age 99. And with timeline, if you're not aware of it, um, they use um, real financial history. They use about 800 scenarios. So, um, quite an interesting way that, that, that they actually do it. But you say, could be saying, well, to age 99, pretty good. May well actually achieve what she's looking at doing, but then if we look at the next slide, if we introduce say thirty percent on secure lifetime income, keeping ten percent in the bonds and we have the sixty percent still in equities that engine room the thing that you know will potentially drive the um, portfolio going forward so again with this young well, lady, she's in good health, so we've not over the underwriting. But with that 30%, we're now getting almost £6,000 worth of income. So that 30% of the portfolio is actually producing almost 50% of the required income. So what we can see here now, 78% um, on track to age 99. So again, you know, it's a pretty good outcome. But again, when we're talking about legacy planning, her second concern was leaving a legacy. In the 60-40 allocation, 83,600, give or take. So again, you know, there's there's a fair chunk there. And um, unsurprisingly, and well, quite surprising on the amount, really, if we're now looking at that legacy by introducing that 30% secure lifetime income, it's up to almost 288,000. And that is quite a big chunk difference compared. So we've got that income covered, we've got that legacy benefit covered, and it's outperforming that pure kind of drawdown portfolio. So this really does highlight the benefits of introducing a level of guarantee into someone's portfolio. Again, slightly de-risking, you're moving 30% away where you're not having to be concerned about volatility or legacy or longevity rather, because that's been passed over to us. And if you're interested uh, looking more around our secure lifetime income or our um, traditional annuity, because again, If you're talking about replacing, say, 20, 30 percent in the portfolio, it doesn't necessarily have to be a secure lifetime income. It can be just a normal um, traditional annuity as well. It works fairly similar other than it won't be on a platform. So do have a look at JustAdvisor.com. There's lots of really good information around that and how it can work with the client's portfolios.
0: There's some really good videos on there as well. One in particular is um, Abraham Akasanya from TimeLine talking about secure income as an alternative asset class, which I found very informative. So I definitely recommend going to do some CPD over there.
1: Perfect. Yeah, so we're going to uh, yeah, finish on uh, everybody's favourite, consumer duty. I'm sure you've uh, not read enough about this as yet, but um, it is quite important. I'm joking aside, and it is stuff that we do need to be aware of. Um, you know, the regulator, is is definitely looking at this in a uh, very concentrated way so i suppose when we talk about consumer duty the main foundation is those four outcomes products and services price and value consumer understanding and also consumer support and really we make, we're needing to make sure that clients are getting good outcomes and we're avoiding causing foreseeable harm now, I suppose when we talk about causing foreseeable harm, you know, market volatility, that's the nature of the beast. But I suppose it's, you know, ensuring that clients are aware of what may happen. So, again, when you're stress testing, putting in different scenarios, um, you know, not catastrophizing, but, you know, what happens if we had another 2022, if things went down by 10 or 15 percent and inflation shot up. And so they're aware of the things that may happen. And you know, when we're talking about what they're looking for, in this slide they're saying about, you know, actions that may be inconsistent with the duty and actions that may be consistent. So when we're looking at target markets, you know, are we going down to that granular level and helping to avoid, I suppose, sales to customers? Needs and characteristics and objectives are incompatible with the product. So certainly when we're talking about vulnerability, I think, as I said before, vulnerability was mentioned about 110 times in the consumer duty document. So again, they go very much hand in hand. And I suppose when we're talking about clients that are moving from accumulation to decumulation, if you've got a centralized investment proposition, do you have that centralized retirement proposition that will take into account the different considerations that now somebody's looking at? Or is the retirement planning just mirroring what the accumulation um, portfolio look like so how does that interact with market volatility longevity pound cost ravaging etc so again it's just sort of digging that little bit deeper just making sure there's some differences when you get into um, decumulation that will allow the client you know that sustainability and reliability of in- income going forward so I suppose this is again when we're talking about investment funds, you know, for the people at the bottom, younger target market investment objectives. You know, volatility can be the investor's friend. Pound cost averaging. You know, certainly if you're going, putting your thousand pounds a month into your pension, there's a bit of volatility. Buying more units so when the uh, market comes back, you know, fantastic. But again, if you're looking at the people on the top. If they're in the same portfolio, taking an income in retirement, it could be a very, very different outcome. So, again, how do we manage that balance and ensure that the people in decumulation are getting those outcomes that they're looking for? Oh, sorry
0: about that things came to a sudden end there, and it's now the next day. So in true time traveling fashion, I'm wearing my Martin McFly tribute jacket here. So sorry about that. Um, You can, however, download the slides uh, that have gone with this session. And we went through some consumer duty implications, particularly for secure income. So have a look at those. There's some good points and pointers for paraplanners in there. Um, And that just leaves me time to wrap up and say thank you very much to Just for supporting the Paraplanners Assembly again this year and putting together these sessions. Massive thank you to Carl for sharing his insight and wisdom. You can go to our website uh, on the event page, you can download a copy of the slide, you can access one hour's full CPD from Just. Uh, our little interruption there won't affect your CPD, it's available there in full and you can also see links to the Vulnerable Client Awards and lots of other resources that are available from Just uh, in this particular area. So big thank you from us and we'll see you again soon.